Hey, what's up, Jordan? It's good to uh, talk with you. We were uh, off last week, some scheduling issues, and this is actually going to be our final episode of the calendar year. We'll be coming back on the other side of New Year's. And uh, well, uh, I am very excited, though, about the guest we're going to have here for this last episode of the year. And that's our buddy, BMAC, Brian McInnes, uh, who is back in the sports writing game. He is, as of now, pretty much the lone sports writer and contributor to the recently unveiled Spectrum News app. Uh, and so it provides some support for the Spectrum sports coverage, for sure, in prep sports and University of Hawaii sports. Uh, but this is an opportunity for Brian McInnes to go back to his roots, so to speak. Spent a lot of time with the Honolulu Star Bulletin and the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And so here he is back on the sports side of things. We get to see him at the events. Uh, and uh, we're very excited to, once again, have him on uh, for an interview. And we're going to get into some pretty interesting topics with him, talking about not just the new Aloha Stadium project, which is getting delayed again, at least incrementally speaking because of a postponement of the RFP process, uh, but also the viability of the on-campus stadium. We're going to talk about some of the financial woes uh, that have befallen the University of Hawaii Athletic Department and how maybe they can somehow get their way out of it, or, or at least some of the consideration that has to be given to that uh, by Athletics Director David Matlin, who is most certainly earning his money uh, these days because that is a tough spot to be in. Uh, we talk with him about the prep foot football state tournaments you're going to be involved with that jordan you're going to be calling a bunch of those games for spectrum oc 16 uh brian's also going to be covering it so i kind of uh, bow out and let you guys uh, carry the discussion there lead the discussion talking about prep football this is the nitty-gritty time there but uh, yeah some good stuff that we touch on in fact brian also exclusively at the moment reporting on a pretty curious situation within the Hawaii Pacific University women's basketball program and head coach Reed Takatsuka, who has been noticeably absent from the bench and sideline area the entire month of December. And in fact, some of his assistants have also departed the program. There are players that have ent entered the transfer portal uh, and there's not much being said on behalf of HPU, but uh, right now it's uh, the only uh, person that's reporting on that is Brian McInnes. So we uh, go straight to the horse's mouth on at least the available information regarding that. Yeah, all, all over the place, right? BMAC's doing it all. And some some positive stories. Uh, this HPU story, uh, uh, kudos to BMAC for, for kind of shining the light on it. It is strange. It really is. And, and we get into that in, in pretty good detail. So yeah, always fun. Always fun to get Brian on the on the show. And uh, good to have him on, uh, I guess, our team huh? Uh, at Spectrum. I guess that kind of <laughs> yeah. counts. Yeah. How's that for a corporate synergy here with this Let's Talk Sports podcast? have to be happy. <laughs> That's how we do it. We are company men through and through. All right, let's get to our game time discussions. And our first topic, well, at the time of our last episode, we thought the UH football season was pow. We were talking about that Twitter space conversation that was led by Daryl McBride, former UH linebacker. We had him on the show. Uh, and yeah, it was talking about the future and what's going to happen and what kind of communication needs to be uh, broached between the players within the program, some that had voiced some dissent and the coaching staff. Uh, and then I think it was later in the day or the next day, uh, we find out that UH is actually going bowling. There was a new bowl game in Texas that was approved by the NCAA. And so it basically added two extra slots in the bowl landscape. And so at six and seven, Hawaii supersedes the other losing teams or the other teams that are sub 500 who are 
five and seven. And so Hawaii's in the top spot of the non-winning record teams, which means that they get the invite to the Hawaii Bowl and they're going to play Memphis. So uh, I'll ask you this, your thoughts on this extra game, this sort of extra breath of life for the Rainbow Warriors football program amid some of this recent, dare I say, turmoil, which resulted in the departures of starting quarterback Shevin Cordero, who is transferring to San Jose State within the Mountain West Conference. Day-Day Hunter, starting running back, who's transferring to Liberty. Cameron Lockridge, one of the starting defensive backs, uh, who was playing very good football down the stretch, transferring to South Alabama. I mean, there's a lot in the backdrop here as Hawaii prepares for this bowl game. It's been as crazy a month for this program in a long time, right? For for a lot of negative reasons, for some positive reasons, obviously – the uh, the bowl berth, and you can argue, right? There are a lot of people out there that say like a six and seven team doesn't deserve to be in a bowl game. Uh, you backdoor your way in. Hey, okay, that that that's fine. I think at the end of the day, right? For for these players who have put in the work, who have put in the time, like if you tell them, hey, you get to go out there and play another collegiate football game with everything that's going on, right? The fact that they had to play a season plus in front of empty stadiums. Uh, the fact that they had an abbreviated season last year, they thought they weren't having a season than they were all of a sudden in the middle of October of 2020. Like they've gone through all kinds of things. And if, if you're saying that they don't, you know, they shouldn't be given the opportunity that's presented to them to go play another collegiate football game. Like, you know, that's, that's a little Grinch during Christmas time. So outside of that, it is incredible, right? The, that week that we saw where we've got the transfers, the announcement of Chevin Cordero in the transfer portal, which sort of seemed to be the final straw that really broke things open with the Twitter space, all these kinds of things. We didn't, we didn't think the university of Hawaii was going to play in a football game, you know, a bowl game. Then all of a sudden they are playing in a bowl game. A lot of people, I think entered the transfer portal aired a lot of these things out because they thought the season was done. And then all of a sudden it's not done. <laughs> and so folks are like, Oh, well, are we sticking around? Are we not? We kind of aired some things out. You got to, see those things uh, through in terms of, uh, you know, some, some behind closed doors meetings and all those kinds of things. And so with all that negativity, I do think in a way the bowl game provides quite the opportunity to keep this thing together, because if everybody had gone their separate ways after that Wyoming win with all of the negativity in the air, all of the guys entering the transfer portal, who knows what it had, what it would have looked like. Right. But by playing in this bowl game, it kind of, for lack of a better term, forced everybody to come back together, at least the folks who were still going to remain with the program. Like, don't get me wrong. There have still been departures, right? There have been a number of guys who have entered the transfer portal in the interim. But for the remaining, I don't know, like 95% of the team or something like that, maybe it's closer to 85% or something like that. But the vast majority of the team was essentially forced to get back together, right? Todd Graham and the coaching staff more or less was kind of forced to address this head on because the season wasn't done yet. Right. Administration, David Matlin and everybody else were more or less kind of forced to at least do something right. What extent they, to what extent they did anything to what extent actual progress was made. I don't know. Right. I think we'll learn a lot come the bowl game on December 24th on Christmas Eve, what the product looks like on the field, what the effort looks like what the camaraderie looks like down on the sideline. Like we'll learn a lot, but that the bowl game in a way provided quite the, quite the life lifeline for this program. I think in this coaching staff, in this, this locker room to kind of work through and, and ask some difficult questions, have some difficult conversations, because if, 
if the season was just Powell and nobody was really obligated to kind of stick around, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? Yeah, and this also concurrently happening with the early signing period, right? And so there was the national letter of intent, at least the early uh, edition of it, uh, that took place this week. And so you had the announcement that A.J. Bianco, who was a hard verbal commit to Hawaii uh, for the past month or so, uh, actually announcing that he isn't going to officially sign with UH uh, until February, which is the later uh, national signing day. And so that then calls into question or creates a little bit of uncertainty surrounding whether or not his commitment is going to come to fruition. And he's the quarterback for St. Louis who is uh, starting to, I think, reputationally gain more stock and, and really kind of see his profile raised. Uh, and so there's a bit of a concern there, but Hawaii did pull in a group of signings that at least on paper, right? National signing day, hope springs eternal, right? Because you see all these highlight reels and that's why they're called highlight reels because every player looks great in the highlight reels, but there are some pretty intriguing and compelling pieces to this recruiting class. You have a couple of St. Louis alums in Kona Moore, uh, defensive back, a safety specifically, and center Ethan Spencer, who signed with Hawaii. You have Malachi Finau, who is a big body D lineman from St. John Bosco, which is obviously a renowned high school program. You have defensive back transfers from both Iowa State and California. You also have a playmaker running back in Tylen Hines, who comes out of Plano High in Texas, who in his highlight reels, again, they're all made to make these guys look good. That's why they're called highlight reels and not low light reels. But this guy looks awfully fast. He's five eight but looks like a playmaker and I think the thought is that maybe he'll have the versatile type of potential to replace a guy like Calvin Turner Jr. or at least partially fill in that role with the team we'll never know until they get on the field whether or not this is a recruiting class of high or elite status uh, because, you know, there are a lot of guys who come in as D1 transfers, maybe don't necessarily pan out. A lot of highly hyped recruits who don't necessarily plan out. And so it's a wait and see. Uh, but what were your opinions of this early signing period group for Hawaii? And, and also even the fact that AJ Bianco not making it official, even though he's saying he is not decommitting from Hawaii, at least at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting, right? You, you've you got a, a class that I think brings some excitement, a guy like Tylen Hines, right, who you look at his highlight film, and, and I agree with you, right? They don't put the negative plays on there. <laughs> uh, but it's pretty impressive, right, out of, out of out of West Texas, and that that is continuing to be a fruitful pipeline, if you will, for, for Todd Graham and his ties to that area, obviously, in that state, in that region. Uh, a number of guys coming from that area, whether it's Hines or, or Verdell Edwards, the Iowa State transfer, who is another Iowa State transfer portal guy, right? And and so you've got some experience in a guy like uh, Anusiem, the uh, the DB out of Cal. Uh, you got a couple of uh, a couple of Polynesian kids, right, coming in. Noah Kema, the linebacker, Junior Taase, the offensive lineman, uh, Malakai Finau, out of uh, Saint John Bosco, I believe, in in Southern California, which is a terrific program. And then I know it's only two local kids who sign at this point and two kids who, you know, didn't have a ton of offers in Ethan Spencer and Kona Moore, the two St. Louis products. Um, but I think it's big for a number of reasons, like only nine Hawaii, current Hawaii high schoolers. There are a number of guys who are now playing on the mainland that signed, but only nine current Hawaii high schoolers signed on Wednesday and two of them. So more than 20% signed with the University of Hawaii. That's not bad 
considering the way that these guys, you know, are usually snatched up by power five programs and, and higher profile programs. Um, they're also two St. Louis guys and, and say what you will about the St. Louis program. Like they produce talent and oodles of talent year in and year out. And you need that to be an open policy, right? You need that to be an open pipeline. Like you need St. Louis players to have a successful program. That's just the fact of the matter. And I know AJ Bianco didn't sign and he is the big fish in this class, no doubt about it. Um, but to at least keep that door open, right? You need guys from that program to come to the university of Hawaii. Um, and that is good to see that at least, you know, you got the center in Spencer, you got the, the versatile safety defensive back in Kona Moore to come to that program. And so, yeah, AJ Bianco becomes the big story, right? He, he, he said he didn't sign. Uh, I believe in talking to, to media reporters, including Adam Hoshida of KHON, he, he said that he just wanted to be a hundred percent sure, which also implies that he is not a hundred percent sure <laughs> at the current moment. Right. And, and I think that is fair because I do think he is a guy that has, if not official offers from multiple power five programs, I know they are knocking on his door and at least talking to him because he is that sort of talent. And I think if he goes out and lights it up over the next couple of weeks in the state tournament, especially against a defense like Kahuku, like they're going to come calling. And the other part with that is there were so many coaching changes and so much shuffling at big time programs over the last few weeks. A lot of that has to settle. A lot of that dust has to settle. And so a guy like AJ Bianco, it makes all the sense in the world sit back, wait a little bit, see who decommits, see who goes in the transfer portal, see which one of these coaches at a new spot all of a sudden needs a quarterback, and you never know where you could end up. And I, and I think it is good business, if you will, for him to not sign early because I don't think he needs to sign early to guarantee himself a Division One spot and a spot at a pretty good program. Now, hopefully he ends up at the University of Hawaii, but um, you know, I think it is very much up in the air, uh, and that's not a negative thing or anything like that, but uh, I, I do think he will have decisions to make um, come February. Yeah, not just a ton of coaching shifts. And this this whole college football thing has gotten crazy, right? Brian Kelly goes from Notre Dame, of all places, to LSU and then starts speaking in a Southern accent. Like, I don't know how that happened, but like this thing has turned on its side, right? Uh, where you have high profile coaches who have had success with very high profile programs decide to go elsewhere. Like no one would have expected that to happen. It's the first time it's ever happened to Notre Dame. In fact, where a coach voluntarily left the program to go elsewhere. And so uh, this is a different thing we're talking about. The, the, the lid has been blown off, right? This, this, this secret, uh, almost, unspoken ideal of college football being associated with uh, higher education and student athlete role and all that stuff like that's just been blown up right now while these players are technically student athletes the business side of football has now taken over it has emerged and so you're starting to see the huge dollars that are given to a Lincoln Riley to pry him from Oklahoma to USC. Uh, and then I think you're seeing the NIL impact because you're starting to see quarterbacks from pretty successful programs going elsewhere. Another case in point would be Dylan Gabriel, who just announced that he transferred from UCF to UCLA. So not just a lot of coaches that are shifting around and changing positions, but you got a lot of quarterbacks that are moving from program to program, which then opens up that specific position and opportunities elsewhere if you're talking about a guy like A.J. Bianco. So, yeah, this has become a very dicey thing. And then I think what 
has now emerged as one of the prime examples of how the NIL can change the paradigm. It is Travis Hunter, who is considered by and large the number one prospect in this recruiting class, who was a previous commitment to Florida State. And guess what? He reverses field, decommits from Florida State on signing day to announce that he's signing with Deion Sanders, who is the head coach at Jackson State. And there were some reports that were saying that Travis Hunter had in place an NIL deal worth in the upwards of $1.5 million that was essentially facilitated by the institution or by the program. Deion Sanders has vehemently denied that, said, no, this was a straight up recruitment. That's not to say that there might not be some peripheral NIL money opportunities for a guy like Travis Hunter, but it leads you to ask the question, right? First off, why isn't Deion Sanders at Florida State? That is like the ultimate bleep you from a Florida State noted alum back uh, to that program and Mike Norvell, like, all right, how about I pull a guy from you guys to FCS Jackson State, right? Uh, the other thing is, is this an example of the NIL hurting college football, or is this an example of the NIL working and actually, in some respects, leveling the playing field, making it possible for a program like Jackson State? And yes, they have a high-profile head coach who's very much out there, uh, very popular, but that's part of why it was such a brilliant move to hire him. But is the NIL impact actually providing this as an example of how it can possibly level the playing field? All we know for sure is the game has changed considerably. I don't think it's in a healthy place necessarily college football, but you can argue that it hasn't been for a long, long time, right? Since the bowl Alliance of the late eighties, early nineties, where power started to get consolidated, right. Amongst the, the big schools, the big conferences, and it's just been downhill ever since over the last 25, 30 years. And so is it fixable? Probably not. <laughs> and so I do think in a way like the, the disparities and the inequalities already existed, right? Like that, there, there's no denying that. And so, yeah, you may be able to now find your big money booster like the folks at Texas are now when it comes to the offensive lineman package that they've put together, uh, like apparently the uh, NIA, NIL deal that Quinn Ewers is getting to transfer back home to his home state to go play for the Longhorns after skipping his senior season, getting like a six-figure deal to go be a backup at Ohio State for a year. Like those things exist, absolutely. But what it does do at the very least for these mid-major programs, heck for these HBCUs, these lower-level programs, it at least gives them a chance, right? It at least gives them an opportunity to kind of wade into the muddy waters that is big-time college athletics and you don't have to rely on taxpayer money to fund facilities or anything like that, say, at the University of Hawaii or at Jackson State, right, where their endowment maybe isn't quite what it is at someplace else like Florida State. And it at least gives you a fighting chance to go ahead and, you know, throw some money at some of these kids and bring them out, right? And, and so for the University of Hawaii, I think you got to look at it as an opportunity, right? Like you've got all the perks, the beach, the weather, the, the culture, the food, all those kinds of things. But if you can also you know, find a way to make it a little more competitive with some of these bigger schools, at least for some of these kids that maybe aren't five-star recruits, make it a little more appealing than maybe being a middling guy at a power five program. Now the edge of the spectrum is a guy like Hunter, right? Who's a five-star, who's at least a top two recruit, no matter where you look on the recruiting boards. 
for that to happen, like that's different. And I think a lot of that has to do with Dion, to be quite honest, right? As much as, hey, maybe they've got a package that they've put together for him and all those kinds of things, as as appealing as it is for a, a guy like him of his background, right? A, a, a young man of color to go to an HBCU to tap into that history. He referenced the likes of, of um, right, Walter Payton and Jerry Rice and Doug Williams and all of these guys, Hall of Famers, right? We're talking about like, that is cool. Like it really is. And I think it is awesome. Um, but a lot of this, like, the, I don't know if this happens at another school, but you're seeing some of it, right? Eddie George at McNeese, I think he is, or Tennessee State. I'm sorry. I think he's at Tennessee State with Dion uh, Campbell, like the Camels. They had eight three-star recruits. Like they had a better recruiting day than some power five teams on Wednesday. None of this is making sense, but it's kind of fun to see where the big boys are freaking out a little bit because they can't hold on to the five-star top two recruit because, you know, Dion and this HBCU can do it. Like if any, I don't know if it's good, yeah. but it ain't making it worse. Yeah, you're right. Cause it was already ugly. It was right? already too far This gone, was right? all occurring in the shadows. Now it's just out in the open. The NCAA's power has dwindled, right? They have no authority. It seems anymore, right? Everyone just sort of scoffs at the idea of the NCAA is going to like levy any kind of sanctions on anybody at this point. Uh, and so it's all out there in the open, right? The lid has been pulled off. This is big business football. This is a hybrid college and professional football mechanism like that's that's the thing and so i agree with you i don't know if it's great it feels kind of uji uh, i think this this requires a sort of selling of the the proverbial soul in order to get in the game but what there is now is exactly what you said an avenue a pathway to get in the game and you can have a situation where jackson state actually pulls a recruit from Florida State. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, this is the kind of times in college football uh, in which we're living, and, and it's uh, it's different. I don't know if it's better. I know that it's been pretty brutal and uji for a long time. Uh, now it's just unapologetically so. All right, with that, let's uh, introduce our guest for this program, final episode of the year. And so we're going to go out with a bang with our guy, BMAC, Ryan McKinnis, who is back in the sports writing seat uh, with the recently unveiled Spectrum News app. So let's get to that right now and play our interview with BMAC. All right, so I said it, I think, when uh, we showed you on the air one time at a University of Hawaii basketball game, Brian, but uh, BMAC is back, back in the sports writing mix. You had been with Pacific Business News for a year, uh, but as we had previously mentioned, you are now a sports writer. Uh, how is that transition going, my man? And, and it's great to have you back in the world of sports. Oh man, thank you, sir. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, to be be back, as you said. <laughs> um, it's it's gone about as well as I could have imagined. You know, stepping away from that the sports realm, the sports space for uh, more than a year. You know, I spent, um, as you said, a full year with Pacific Business News, and that you know was an, a super valuable experience. Like one I will always take with me, no matter where my career takes me from this point on, because of how different it was, how much, you know, learning on the go I had to do in, in a, in a subject matter that, you know, I had never covered before. Um, and there's definitely some principles I was able to take from business back to, uh, the sports realm. So, um, but that is certainly my passion. So yeah, man, it's, it's been great to see you and, and all the, the rest of the, you know, the, the local sports, uh, guys on the scene here in the, in the last week or two. Yeah, this is interesting because you sort of have to parachute back in while you're midseason with a lot of these sports, right, at a time where we're in the 
nitty gritty of the prep football postseason. We're embarking on the Diamond Head Classic for University of Hawaii men's basketball. You got, you know, UH football playing in a bowl game. And there's all this stuff going on in sports. So how do you identify, first off, uh, you know, catching up with some of that progress that's already been made in those sports seasons and negotiating which sports you're covering to begin with? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Like for the new Spectrum News app, I'm basically the the one man band as far as the sports coverage goes. So it, that is something I've never, uh, you know, I've been a part of a big sports team at the Star Advertiser that was blessed to have, you know, for a newspaper in a market our size, like a very robust sports staff of about a dozen people. Uh, and now, you know, it's 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 me basically, and. Uh, um, I, I'm grateful to, you know, the, the Spectrum News team, Nui Cho, the executive producer, Ryan Cooper, Cooper, the regional manager, to give me that kind of freedom to kind of call my own number and decide where, where to go, who to talk to uh, pretty much any day of the week. So, um, but as you said, there's a lot going on and I was doing my best to keep tabs on that while I was still a business reporter, uh, was doing the occasional sports crossover story for things like attendance at uh, the Clarence uh, TC Chang complex at, at UH for their first home football games. So, um, yeah, I was looking to kind of pick up where that left off. And then, uh, the, the Todd Graham, uh, UH <laughs> football, uh, mess, you know, is kind of played out right as I was transitioning back. So there's really been no shortage of things to talk about, write about. Um, yeah, it, it honestly hasn't been an issue yet. I'll, I'll let, I'll get back to you and let you know when there's some leaner weeks maybe to, to come in the, in, you know, early next year or something. But for now, um, I've got all that I can handle and I'm uh, happy about it. Yeah, yeah. take that, Stephen Sai and <laughs> Paul Honda and Billy Hall. BMAC's doing it all, right? You've, you've, got, you've, you've got everything. And, and to be fair, BMAC, during the high school broadcasts, we have also highlighted you on camera <laughs> in promoting the brand new Spectrum TV News time. app. A lot of TV time. Uh, so that's something that I don't know if the star advertiser can provide. Uh, we can get you on air. You know, it, I, I'm, I'm in jest, obviously, but I am kind of curious, BMAC, you know, with the fact that the the Spectrum News platform is basically 100% digital. I know you guys were doing a lot of that, um, you know, whether you're at the Star Advertiser or at PBN, um, but is it different for you at all in terms of, of how the craft sort of looks as you, you put together these stories and get them to places where, you know, people can consume them? I mean, yeah, Jordan, it's a great question. It, it is a bit different from the traditional print product, no doubt about it, uh, where, you know, you, you go to a game or a practice or an event, interview the people, basically write up a story fairly straightforward. Whereas, um, you know, I, I'm usually right now responsible for taking my own photos. Um, that's not like a mind blowing thing, um, but, you know, that's really up to me to, to get some kind of art component to go with any given story, whether it's you know, I'm there or not. So it's about finding something relevant to pair with it. Uh, occasional, you know, video embedded tweets, uh, probably more substantial video to come in the future at some point. Uh, we'll see about that. But um, yeah, it, it's it's realizing that uh, from top to bottom, the whole presentation, it's, it's your, you know, your name's on it and uh, you have to do the best to make it respectable, even if it's not, you know, something you're, say, formally trained in. But uh, I will say, going back to my days at the newspaper, they had me spend a couple years uh, doing Hawaii Warrior World, which was like, in a sort of similar sense, my own thing for, you know, ancillary UH sports content. 
uh, to pair with like guys, Steven side doing the, the mainstream reporting for the newspaper, it would be me t- writing about the secondary UH sports, getting my own photos, videos, what have you. Um, so in a sense, Jordan, that was like really good. I think a preliminary training background for like doing what I'm doing right now. Putting the eye in McInnes. That's right. <laughs> and, and, um, Warrior World, also a good practice for tongue twisters um, moving forward. That's correct. I'm sure that, that prepared you quite well for, for I did not endeavors. name it. I did not name it. And so how do you, you mentioned, you know, you get to kind of call your own shots. I was always really interested in your, you know, your business sports sort of crossover articles at PBN. Uh, I think that's such fascinating stuff. I think it is very relevant when we're talking about, say, University of Hawaii Athletics. We're talking about you know, the, the viability of state tournaments at the high school level coming out of the pandemic and all these kinds of things. But do, do you anticipate working that in kind of, you know, with more frequency than say at previous stops now that you've got the, the little bit of the business background? Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, for sure, man. I, um, I think I was fortunate enough to maintain, you know, contact with guys like UH athletic director, David Matlin over that last year plus guys, like, uh, you know, Chris Chun with the HHSAA. Uh, yeah, talking numbers a little bit. I mean, uh, not to go all like retro Ferd Lewis on everyone, but, you know, that has definitely become more of my uh, my rotation, my wheelhouse than uh, at any time in the past, even when I was, you know, in the thick of, say, reporting on the UH basketball uh, NCAA investigation saga. There, there were a lot of numbers involved in there, too. Ferd handled a lot of that at the time in my dual reporting with him. So um, that's something I've, you know, kind of added to the uh, to the toolbox a little bit, I think, in, in the last uh, year or so. All right. So we've talked a little bit about this transition for you. But uh, if we can now focus the target on you as this returned sports writer, can we start peppering you with some questions here? regarding some of the prevalent local stories you mentioned delving into the numbers and we are already seeing more delays in the RFP process in regards to the new Aloha Stadium project my question to you BMAC because you did do some coverage on this issue while with Pacific Business News and obviously this is going to carry over for some time here in the sports realm uh, how viable is it how, how how legitimate is it in your opinion, that we will see this new Aloha Stadium project come to fruition anytime while we're alive. <laughs> Man, it, um, shoot, I, I, w- I wish I had a, uh, you know, omniscient uh, answer for, for you there, Kanoa, but it's, I, I tell you what, with each, you know, announced pushback of, say, you know, incremental pushback, right? It, it's not like, hey, we're, we're knocking this thing back a few years, but but I think there was just an announcement about, you know, into 2023, I think, for, for construction beginning uh, on the, the stadium component. Um, first, let's say, I mean, it's, it's a massive endeavor, right? you got the public-private partnership component. You know, it's, it's more than just building a new stadium. It's, it's this whole, uh, you know, sprawling commercial enterprise that they envision with all kinds of, you know, uh, hotels and, and you know, uh, businesses and cross-promotional things like a possible esports arena component was brought up in some circles. It's uh, it's huge. And I, to answer your question, I, I just sure. Let's say yeah, it'll happen at some point. But are we looking like closer to the end of the the twenty twenties? Perhaps realistically, by the time all that comes together, I don't know. But if you're just going by you know a similar 
huge scale project in the works right now <laughs> as a rail comparison. I mean, adjust your expectations accordingly. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair assessment for sure. And I think in the interim, uh, the big concern is what happens with University of Hawaii football, right? The, the finances and the revenue generation is taking a massive hit because of COVID, because of a lack of a large-scale stadium. Uh, and they are doing their best. All due respect and credit to the University of Hawaii Athletics Department for getting that Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex up and rolling. And yes, they are looking to hopefully expand uh, the amount of seats in there. And, and with concessions open uh, here for this bowl game, you're hoping that you'll be able to draw more fans here going forward and people start getting more acclimated to once again attending events. All that stuff is in the works. But while they await perhaps the construction of a larger scale stadium, you know, something that's a little more modernized. Um, how much damage can potentially be done to University of Hawaii football from just that financial standpoint in the interim? Um, I guess I'll throw like the figure eight infinity answer on, on this <laughs> as, as my general response. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I do not envy David Matlin right now when he's uh, crunching his numbers and, and coming up with a, a budget uh, solution going forward because, you know, he was open about the fact that when there were basically no fans at the games earlier this past 2021 season, they were losing about a half million dollars a game, uh, not having, you know, any concessions revenue, as you said. Um, you know, some of the, uh, the, the sponsorship tie-ins were watered down because there was no one at the games to, you know, see the signage and things of that nature. So it, it was great for them to get the place at least, you know, what, 60% full those last couple games against uh, um, San Diego State and, and Colorado State. So you saw maybe some slight, you know, promise there for, for the facility. But at the end of the day, it's still like a stopgap solution, right? I mean, it's you, you can't as well as they improve it and, you know, they're going to add a couple thousand seats uh, is the plan before next season, investing a couple more million dollars to what has already been upward of $9 million uh, of a project. It's still a stopgap, like I said. And so they, you just got to wonder, yes, as we talked about how, how long is it going to take for the, the, the main new Aloha stadium project to get rolling and um, can they hold together, you know, the, the smoke and mirrors in the interim years and, um, both for probably the prestige of the program and the the budget component, Kanoa, as you were asking about, uh, they're going to take hits, I think, on multiple fronts before it's all said and done. The never-ending saga uh, when it comes to this. And I guess uh, as much opinion hat as it is a reporter hat for you, BMAC, on this one. So are you of the mind that an on-campus stadium is is not the ideal path forward? Uh, that it that it should be a, a new Aloha Stadium as the future permanent home for University of Hawaii football. Hey, you know, I don't want to take away anything that they they accomplished getting that place ready to play in the last. You know, it, they did it in about half a year, basically, from uh, drawing up the schematics to execution. I mean, that was like a a monumental accomplishment just based on the normal timetable of, of operations for both, you know, UH and, and the state as a whole. So infinite credit to them for pulling that off and, you know, getting fans in the stands for a reasonably normal F FBS college football experience by season's end. Um, that said, 
yeah, Jordan, I just, I just don't know if you can get by, you know, in a uh, 15,000 seat venue that, you know, would, would of course be the, by far the smallest in the mountain West conference. And um, just from a competitive standpoint, I don't think you can tread water indefinitely. And, and that kind of, um, it's great to have it on campus. Don't get me wrong in that respect. Like if they could somehow, you know, find more space to, to really build that thing out, I think that would be one thing, but you know, they have this, this kind of parallel plan in the works for, for the NASED project. I think they got to see it through, even if it takes longer than, you know, what they're saying, which is late. Gosh, I mean, four or five years out at this point. Yeah, it'll take longer. <laughs> right. I mean, just the way it goes, right. That, that, that's how things work. And so with, with all of that as the backdrop, you got the negative cloud over the program when it comes to PR at this point and, and where that all lands, you've heard like renewed calls, both sort of informally and, and, and from folks in the media to, to just say the program should just be scrapped. Like it, it's not worth, it's not worth it. It's not from a financial standpoint, from a investment standpoint, like all of the above. Um, is that, what is your take on that BMAC on the, the it's, this has come up many of times, right? It, it seems to come up every, I don't know, like seven years. Um, and I think you, you, you see the consternation, especially among alums uh, that have come through that program. But uh, there have been louder renewed calls with just all of the negativity surrounding uh, the program here over the last month. Yeah, it was really interesting if I can chime in, uh, because I think Jordan is referencing directly the recent uh, Civil Beat Lee Cataluna column. Uh, where she basically said it's time to scrap the program, that part of the reason why we're even hanging on to it at this point, even though it doesn't make what at least she claims to be much financial sense, is just out of this built-in nostalgic wiring. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I'm very curious. I think that's a great question, Jordan. I just kind of wanted to add a little extra layer of, of, of color there because uh, I would be interested to hear your, your thoughts on that, Matt. I mean, hey, like if we just take it a little further and go back to when Ben Jay kind of casually floated the idea of football going away, you know, I, I know, I don't think he meant it at the time, but he meant it as maybe like a, a wake up call or a, a warning for people um, that, yeah, it's something that's probably talked about. And, and um, right. You've referenced Lee's column. I, I, I don't think that will or should happen. I mean, football is still a moneymaker, albeit a lesser one right now for the entire UH athletic department. You know, they still depend on those football revenues, the, uh, the, the pay-per-view contract that they get with, with uh, <laughs> a shout out to my, my new employer uh, <laughs> spectrum. Um, you know, it, it's still the driver and it, if you're talking about football going away, I mean, you're, that's basically the death knell for, you know, most, if not all of the, the rest of the athletic department, given the other inherent travel costs and, and how far flung we are out here. I mean, so no, I don't, I don't think that's uh, okay. Maybe I'm a little biased here because, you know, a lot of my job description revolves around covering this stuff. So if that goes away <laughs> then maybe I don't have a job anymore, but uh I, I don't think we're there yet. I mean, I think it's, it's a dire time, no doubt about it, but um, yeah, that that's at least for me, a bridge too far right now. Yeah. Cause I think you have to take into account, like, there is some nostalgia that probably does precede some of our attachment, but I think there's also tangible investment 
that has been put into this thing, even in the transition from Aloha Stadium to this on-campus facility. And so, you know, you have put a lot of effort and you've put a lot of money into this thing. And, and I, I agree with you. I think to pull the plug would leave a lot of that just hanging out there uh, as opposed to uh, let's just go ahead and, and, and effort to try to see it through and, and see if we can uh, get through some of this turbulence uh, that said, uh, speaking of turbulence, this is a story that you've reported on really exclusively here and uh, something that I have particular interest in because uh, it is my alma mater and that's Hawaii Pacific University and their women's basketball program, which has under head coach Reed Takatsuka risen to pretty national renown here. They have been a nationally relevant team for many years now. He's like a five-time league coach of the year, uh, but there's a little bit of apparent Pili Kia possibly there. Can you fill us in on what's happening? There is Pili Kia, Kanoan. That, for the record, is the first time I've ever said that phrase to you. So uh, <laughs> thank you for setting me up for that. We are breaking uh, new ground here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man, I, you know, I, I can't lay claim to any kind of, uh, you know, weeks or months of, of shadowy back backroom dealing reporting here. I mean, I, I just, you know, I went to, I got a tip and I went to the HPU women's game at the shark tank, uh, on Thursday and, um, had heard that Reed Takatsuka, the, the very decorated head coach that you, you mentioned Kanoa, he, he has not been there, uh, physically present at their games in the month of December. Um, and I had heard some other prominent players were uh, either, you know, also totally absent or sitting out. Um, so I went to see what was up. I, I thought the athletic director would be there and I had not had any success reaching her prior to that game on Thursday. So I figured, you know, hey, it's a great opportunity to just take the pulse of the program. And uh, yeah, you know, they, they were severely shorthanded. Uh, Darren Vorder, uh, Vorderbrugge, the, the, the men's basketball coach there for a long time, former AD at HPU himself. Uh, has taken over at least on a uh, without officially being named the interim head coach. That is apparently what he is uh, because he's coached out the last few games for them. Reed Takatsuka's assistant coaches are no longer there. Uh, so Amy Baum, the their two-time conference player of the year guard, uh, very exciting playmaker player. She into the transfer portal. I was able to discern that through reporting. Uh, a, a few of the other starters, four, I believe, of the five normal starters on this season that started this season, maybe the first seven or eight games, are uh, no longer there. So uh, it is uh, a bit of a disarray, I would say, is a fair word to put on it right now because um, they're not saying why uh, the coach and players are are gone, are, are missing from the program right now. I was able to uh, establish a little contact with Coach Takatsuka this morning, and he actually referred me to his attorney. Ooh. So that's not usually a good sign. And also when the athletic director, like I said, Debbie Snell, is basically straight up no commenting you um, either by totally ignoring your request for an interview or then in person not giving you anything really to go off of. Uh, some red flags are there. So I felt confident enough to write the story that I did last night, basically laying out the basic facts of, hey, th these people are no longer with the program. This has been a banner program. As you said, some national renown the last few years, especially. So it's um it's been a, a, a very weird situation. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's going to be more to come out of this, uh, whether it's in the next days or weeks. Yeah, I, I just kind of blindsided myself. And again, I, I don't profess to be some really close, intimate follower of, of Sharks athletics. And, and I know they've kind of gone through some transformations, right? Literally with their campus the fact that they've now got the uh, an actual home gym 
up there in Manoa at St. Francis's old gymnasium and, and things seem to be heading in a, a pretty positive direction for the athletics program, both on the men's and women's side of, of, of the basketball courts. Uh, we know what their volleyball team has done in, in years past, maybe not quite in, in, in recent history. And so I guess it, it just came out of nowhere to me. And, and, and again, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, BMAC, but to have a program with this level of success just sort of unravel seemingly overnight, um, right? I mean, a, a lot of these players, as you mentioned, at least started the season. Three uh, Takatsuki at least started the season. Um, and this comes at the beginning of a season. You know, I mean, there are, you wonder if there are sort of parallels to the University of Hawaii football situation, but that sort of came at the end of the season when things seemingly were, were done. <laughs> the whole bowl invite comes a little later mm-hmm. down the road, but this, this is like not even really into the heart of conference play for them. Um, and, and so just, just how out of the blue was this for, for a program again, that, as you mentioned, that had, had set like school records and had produced all Americans and were beating division one programs. And, you know, I just, I just to have it sort of seemingly implode um, in short notice is, is a bit eye opening. Yeah. Th- 38 game winning streak spanning a couple of seasons. Um, you know, you just don't hear that really at, at, almost any level of basketball. I mean, he, coach Takatsuka had set himself as arguably the premier women's basketball coach, you know, in, in the state, just given his winning percentage and what he'd accomplished at his level of basketball. Um, so it, it did, I think Jordan, it's fair to say come out of relative nowhere. I mean, it was going seemingly normally as best I can tell. I don't profess to be you know, and have intimate knowledge or consistent coverage of the HP women's basketball program. But until the end of November, Coach Takatsuka was coaching the games as normal. The, the players were in their, you know, regular roles as normal. And then he disappears from the bench uh, the first game on December 2nd uh, in the month of December and uh, has not been back since. And the players kind of one by one or two by two have, have uh, disappeared from action, from box scores, and from from what I could tell at the game Thursday, from just being there. Period. So, um, yeah, it, there were there were a number of kind of weird angles, and HPU is not, at least as of this uh, recording, not uh, said why. You know, they they are gone, and that's kind of been one of the more interesting aspects of this. Usually, a school will give some kind of bland you know, milk toast statement about what, what's happening. Some, uh, you know, sanitized verbiage that they could fall back on. And there's not been that yet. So, um, yeah, uh, there's, uh, like I said, going to be more, I guarantee it, whether it's from me or, or other, uh, reporting. And, uh, I would say stay tuned because, you know, until there's some kind of rationale given for why this is taking place, it's, it's not going to rust. Yeah, that was kind of one of the things that I was wondering about, and, and I think you answered it there. Like, what what is the the next few weeks look for like for this program? What? Is, but yeah, I think you've answered it there. So, so Darren Vorderberger, he's coaching both teams. How does this work? Double duty, and and yeah. It, so he had I asked him about this at the game last night, and Coach V was good enough to talk to me. Uh, yes, yeah, so he's been coaching the women for a few games now. He was actually sitting on the end of the bench while the uh, coach uh, Takatsuka's associate head coach and his other assistant were there. Uh, be, they, they had assumed the coaching reins first with coach V on the end of the bench. Coach V has since taken over uh, the acting head coach duties. Anyway, he's had one game. I believe they were both at Hawaii Hilo on the same day where he had, I, I think it was probably the women first. And then there was like a half hour gap between the games. 
and then he had the men. So, um, yeah, he, he made a, a reference to uh, a friend of his at Notre Dame, Dean Moore, who at one point in time had to assume both programs at once for some reason or another. And he, he you know, he made a joke like I, I need to call him up and see what kind of medic- medication he was taking uh, for that time, because uh, I don't know how, how sustainable that is. That's, um, you know, going to pose some problems when one team's in one place and the other team's in another place. Yeah, that's uh, that is a tough situation. I mean, uh, the only word I can think of to describe it is what is it, BMAC? Pelikia. There you go, buddy. All right, uh, let's switch it over. Another wheelhouse question here. University of Hawaii men's basketball preparing for their signature non-conference tournament, right? Hosting the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic. Their first opponent is Vanderbilt, which is an interesting story of Jerry Stackhouse as the head coach there. Out of the SEC, you have Scottie Pippen Jr., one of their feature players, uh, one of several players from Sierra Canyon, which is the program that LeBron James' son plays for, who's also going to be in Hawaii, at least that's scheduled to take place, uh, because they're participating in the Iolani Classic here, which is starting very soon. But uh, I just wanted to uh, get your take on uh, the first-round matchup for Hawaii in Vanderbilt. Uh, sort of your take on on this Hawaii program and, and sort of where this team is at, having to deal with some some announced injuries prior to the year and, and then having to deal with some in-season injuries as well. It's been a bit of a shuffle rotation, but they may have found a little bit in terms of that rotation uh, that works in their favor. So I don't know. Uh, give us the goods on that. And by the way, before I get to that, like on the the twenty third and in the second day of the Diamond Head, I mean you got the you got the Iolani Classic, like you said, and you also got like the state football tournament going on, right? The the championship um, that's going to be crazy. I don't know how in the world I'm going to go about doing that <laughs> in those couple of days, but uh, okay, yeah. So back to UH hoops, yeah. It's, it's you know been a bit of a up and down. Uh, they've had injuries, like you said. I mean with. Samuta Vea and Juan Munoz going out even before the season tipped off. That that was, of course, a blow to them uh, for really probably what their their ceiling is as a team. I think it's fair to say they've done their best in the meantime this preseason with Noel Coleman going out with a hip injury, with Bernardo da Silva going out with a hand injury. Noel Coleman is back, looked great in their in their last game against uh, HPU, and you would expect him to to be at full strength for the Diamond Head. It, I. Last I heard, I don't know if Bernardo's going to be available for the Diamond Head, which which does hurt when you're talking about an SEC team that you're going against. You know, you need as many athletic, uh, able bodies in there, I think, in, in your front court as, as possible. But um, Vanderbilt will pose a test. I mean, Scottie Pippen Jr. is a very dynamic guard. Uh, he's going to probably test the Hawaii backcourt in ways that, uh, with maybe the exception of the, the Santa Clara uh, guard uh, on the road that that uh, I think scored in the twenties. Jalen Williams, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he, he was dropped a he thirty was a burger. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Scotty Pippen Jr. might be in that you know caliber of of a scoring guard, and so it's going to be a challenge to corral him. But um, you know, shoot, Hawaii's at home. They they've sometimes been able to get out of the first round into the uh, the winners bracket uh, on some occasions. And um, we'll see if they can do it again. They did it the last time the Diamond Head was played. They beat UTEP in the first round, uh, got to the semis. Um, ne- they have never gone beyond that in, in their, uh, you know, 11 or 12 year history of the Diamond Head. Um, but it's great to have the tournament back. You know, I'm, I'm excited about it. I don't think there's um, a really weak team in the field. Sometimes you have a dud or two, but, uh, you know, I, I think no matter who the matchup is, whether it's South Florida, BYU on the second night or, or one of, uh, Liberty, Northern Iowa, 
Stanford or Wyoming on the final day, uh, you know, Hawaii's going to be in for a battle. Yeah, sleeper pick for me is Wyoming. They're a team that comes in with just one loss. Jeff Linder is their head coach, who used to be the head coach at Northern Colorado, a team that Hawaii played earlier this year. They were known to shoot the lights out from three, and that's kind of what this Wyoming team is already starting to do. The one thing that they haven't really done, at least to the level of uh, Northern Colorado under Jeff Linder yet, is uh, play that level of defense, but they're starting to come around there, too. they got some good pieces. They're pretty big. So that would be my sleeper pick from the other side of the bracket, uh, look out for Wyoming. They're pretty darn good. Uh, all right. Uh, I did want to ask you a couple of other uh, questions, but, you know, you had mentioned uh, the prep football state championships and, uh, you know, Jordan and I have been poised to sort of bring this up as a topic in our more topical portion of the podcast. Uh, but being that Jordan's going to be announcing a bunch of these games, being that you're going to be covering a bunch of these games, uh, I almost want to like step aside and defer to you guys to uh, have a little prep football chatter amongst yourselves right now. I think that would be good for the listening audience if I may make that executive decision. Is that cool? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. It's it's your podcast. I, I promise <laughs> not to uh, dig up any Pelikia as far as that's concerned. <laughs> All right. Go Some, for it, Jordan. Sometimes it just finds you, BMAC. Sometimes you don't even have to go looking. Yeah. So, I guess, you know, we, to, tomorrow, well, actually today, sorry, as we record this on Friday, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Um, you got the D1 state semifinals, right? Uh, Lahaina Luna kicks things off. They make the move up from Division Two. They take on Cornell Wine. It's the first meeting since that seven overtime Division Two state championship game way back in 2017. Uh, so who knows? They kind of changed the overtime rule. So if we get to seven overtimes, it would be... Um, things that statisticians and mathematicians can't even wrap their heads around. Uh, BAAF champ, the second semifinal, Kanoa's Iolani Raiders, uh, who are again uh, poised to make a run in Division I uh, as they've played in like three of the last four or something like that, D1 state championship games, um, have yet to win it. Uh, they keep running into Hilo, but Hilo not in the field this year. Uh, they will take on OIA champion Aiea, who's back in the state tournament for the first time in a long time. Um, and to me, that is the best of the four tournaments. Like when you look at it, it's three, four team divisions, right? Um, there's still one spot to be determined in division two. They don't actually even get started in their semifinals until next week, Wednesday. And then you got the open semifinals tomorrow. You've got Kahuku versus Campbell and then Mililani and St. Louis. But I think if you look top to bottom one through four, uh, that division one state tournament BMAC is, is the one to keep your eye on. I think any of the four teams could legitimately win it all. I don't know if you can really make the case in either of the other two brackets, if you will. Well, first, let me say that, you know, I, I am definitely a learner in the space of the, the prep football scene. Like I'm coming into it, like at, with the philosophy, like, Hey, I, I know nothing here. I'm going to learn as I go. And, and, you know, I have to, you know, relearn all the the coaches, players, uh, stars, uh, you know, trends of the game. So that that's that's been a, something I'm definitely trying to catch up on over the last couple of weeks. So I I defer totally to your knowledge here, Jordan. But I will say, uh, I mean, the D1 of the three tiers since they went to the three tier system, the D1 state HHA tournament has been the one to watch, right? I mean, when you're talking about just competitive matchups, um, exciting possibilities for teams that haven't been there before. I mean, you got the, the dynastic, you know, open division, uh, St. Louis just kind of running away with it most of the time. And then in the D2, it's maybe a little tougher for some folks like myself to track. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what comes of that, whether Yolani will get that that breakthrough at that middle tier level, uh, because that does seem like the very much the right place for 
for the Raiders to be right. And um, I've not, I've not obviously seen those uh, neighbor Island teams yet. Lahaina Luna, of course, has been uh, quite dominant. Uh, you, you would probably know best of all, but um, shoot, man, it's um, something that, like I said, I'm looking forward to uh, just kind of watching and learning as it, as it goes over these next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It used to be the D2 state tournament, right? And and a lot of those teams have sort of matriculated their way to the middle tier, Lahaina Luna, Konawina, uh, Iolani, like all these teams that used to sort of dominate at the Division II level are, are now up where I agree with you. They're sort of in that middle tier. Uh, the D2 state tournament next week is going to be really interesting because you got some teams that haven't been there in like decades, like Hawaii Prep. Uh, won a, the BWFD two title. They're in the state tournament for the first time since 2009. Kaluka Maiava, by the way, is their head coach, uh, the former NFL linebacker and Baldwin grad. Uh, Kamehameha Maui's in the state tournament for the first time since 2005. Uh, and then they'll go up uh, against uh, some more familiar teams, if you will, uh, whether it's going to be Kapa'a and then the uh, the D2 title game in the OIA is tonight between Kaiser and Radford, two teams who have won D2 state championships Um within the last decade. But yeah, I mean, the, the main event and everybody is anticipating it. Of course, they both have to win tomorrow night, but Kahuku St. Louis, like that's the showdown mm-hmm. everybody's been waiting for. It seemingly is the showdown we get every single year since this open division thing came into fruition five years ago, four seasons ago. And so, you know, I, I think like Milani could give St. Louis a scare because St. Louis hasn't played in basically two months. Uh, Kahuku is a juggernaut that uh, I think survived maybe one of their poorer games against Milani in the OIA championship game. Is there any reason to believe like we, we won't get St. Louis Kahuku again? I mean, I would say no, but I was there at that Kahuku Milani OIA open championship game over up at Lelahua. And, um, I mean, I give Milani props, man. They, uh, you know, by virtue of a couple of interception returns early in the game, they, they uh, grabbed a two-touchdown lead, and then they nearly rode that thing all the way to the OIA title. I mean, credit to Kuku for coming back and battling because they, I mean, they showed a willpower and a focus that I, I think a lot of us would expect of that program. But um, you know, with that rust factor for St. Louis, man, I, I don't know. It's um, I'm going to be uh, dialed in tonight. You know, seeing if, there, if there's any signs of you know uh, holes in the armor for for the Trojans to exploit. Uh, Kahuku, I, I, you know, was really impressed with their talent. So many weapons on that team. Um, I, as you said, I mean, we're all expecting uh, St. Louis Kahuku in the end. And uh, what a clash I think that will be. It's just a matter of this season has gone on so long, at least in, for the ILH side. Like, how will that play in? You know, that um, can they, they just turn it back on on a moment's notice like that? And in terms of the OIA, I mean, it's, it's just – have we even had, we've never had a, a tournament like this late into the year before, right? It's, there's never been like a Christmas day tournament. No, no, not, not even close. It used to end like the first weekend in December. It used to yeah. end the week after Thanksgiving basically. And it's, a, it's since moved up one, two weeks every single year, um, depending which way you look at it. So yeah, it's, this is as late as it goes. Like the D2 state championship game is on December 30th. <laughs> it's it that like leagues are already playing basketball seasons. Uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's as late as it's ever gone. So it'll be really interesting to see, but um, state football, man, it, it, there's, there's nothing like it on the prep landscape and uh, it's, it's nice to have it back. It's yeah, all going to be at Farrington, by the way, uh, no right. Aloha stadium, Mitalani's lights don't work. That's probably the next best, biggest venue. Um, Aloha uh, Ching is unavailable because of the Hawaii bowl and the diamond head <laughs> classic. So we're going to play everything in Kalihi, baby. 
uh, at Farrington. And if you've been to Skipadia Stadium, which is great, by the way, it's a great facility. It's awesome that they can play games on campus. Um, it's not the biggest. It'll suffice. Uh, but those are like metal bleachers, man. They're reinforced. <laughs> but if you get Kahuku fans in a state championship game, well, I hope the engineers are on that case, man, because it is going to be really testing the structural integrity. Yeah, tighten those bolts. And I will say it's a shame it's not at Ching because of a like as we talked about the investment and the upgrades that have been made there, and there is like the a pretty good media capacity. I, I'm all, speaking again from a biased media perspective here. <laughs> the Skipadia setup, in my understanding, is the press box will be so full with you know the, the TV crew. And yeah, blame TV. Whatnot. They're taking up at least half of that. Oh thing. man. Um, there's going to be a media tent outside, uh, with no power. Um, so that's, that's going to be an interesting yep. dynamic to, uh, to yeah. juggle for a double header football, uh, tournament setting that will go on for hours. So, uh, wish me luck tonight, boys. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of an adventure. Yeah. If it could have been a Ching and I know they tried, right. I know the HHSA tried and they did everything they could to, to put it in a, a, a sufficient venue. Um, but like that place for a St. Louis Kahuku state championship game at Ching, like it, it probably sells out, right? 9,000 people. Oh, I would, I would have, come on. Uh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Even if you were still only able to drink bottled water in the stands, um, I think, uh, I think those, those fans would sit there for that time, uh, shoulder to shoulder, because that's, uh, that's the kind of fan base that those programs have. Uh, that's pretty wild, though. Like you guys uh, pointed out that the prep football season is almost outlasting the college football season, like in its entirety uh, at this stage. But uh, also job well done, guys. That was a fantastic. I was just kind of sitting and, and uh, listening like uh, one of our podcast listeners and uh, you guys uh, knocked it out of the park. That was good prep football discussion. Thanks for doing that. Oh, yeah. BMAC. He can do it all. Yep. BMAC is be back, folks. And uh, and and that's what. We were hoping to extract from him here uh, in our welcoming him back to the sports world via this podcast. Brian, uh, speaking of podcasts, uh, are we going to be seeing your podcast making a return sometime in the future? Yes. Do not totally throw dirt on the grave of the Court Sense podcast <laughs> yet, because there there is a chance that thing comes clawing back out. Uh, I want to I want to revive it. I want to keep it going with a focus on uh, basketball, both uh, you know college and otherwise uh, in in the islands. So. Um, yes. Uh, and guys, if you maybe would indulge me in a future episode and, uh, you know, complete the second half of this home and home series, that okay. would be much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. We'll uh, have your people talk to our people and, uh, we'll see if we can uh, come to an agreement there, uh, in the negotiation, but nah, for real, Brian, you're the man, uh, awesome talking with you again. Awesome. Uh, being able to see you at all the, the sporting events and, uh, best of luck here with the spectrum news app going forward. And, uh, we will talk again soon. I know Merry Christmas and happy new year, bro. Merry Christmas to you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, great to be back and, uh, you know, see your smiling faces a little more often now. <laughs> All right. Big thanks once again to Brian McKinnis. And with that, we get to our post game. And it is our final best and worst of the year. That's right. We'll see you guys again in January. But uh, Jordan, because it's the end of the year and we don't want to end on a sour note because there's so much just brutal stuff going on, right? With these dang COVID surges that we're so sick of. Uh, we're going to do something a little different. It's going to be a best and best where we're going to have our best for this episode, which is a little bit more traditional, and then give me a best 
for the year, best for 2021, which, you know, as tough as this year has been, might be a little harder to find at this stage of the game. But that's what we're going to do. Our best and best this time brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full service refuse company, offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community. Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information. So let's start with our best for this episode, the more traditional one that we do. Uh, I'll start with my best, and that is Steph Curry, who is the best three-point shooter of all time by any metric at this stage, including sheer volume. This guy broke the career, made three-point field goal record, which was previously held by Ray Allen, did so just the other night, uh, did it at Madison Square Garden. Ray Allen, Reggie Miller were both in attendance. Those are sort of the the three guys that you would probably first list as being most associated with the three-point shot. Uh, Steph Curry breaking this record in like, what is it, like 500 fewer games than Ray Allen. Like, it's just ridiculous what this guy is doing. I finally got to a point uh, where I'm seeing through some of my jealousy and envy as a Spurs fan and a KD hater uh, because he's no longer the Warriors. And I can actually see through and I can actually appreciate what Steph Curry is doing because uh, when it's all said and done, we're not going to see a guy like that, I don't believe, ever again. He's unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. And what he has been able to do, as you mentioned, in a fraction of the time of guys like Reggie Miller and Ray Allen, right? And it's a different era. I, I get it, right? And, and the game is played a little bit differently, but in large part because of a guy like him who has forced the game to change, who has forced the game to be played a little bit differently, who is shooting it at such a high efficiency. It's like, yeah, just shoot it every time. <laughs> Why wouldn't you shoot it off the dribble, shoot it off the catch, shoot it on a step back, shoot it while dribbling around for 10 seconds, shoot it while just running and weaving through a, a picket <laughs> fence of screens and things like just shoot it. Right. It's a, it, it, he has changed so much about the game and, and yeah, I'm with you, man. It's hard. I think it, it's just hard not to appreciate. And if you are, you're just kind of a hater at this point. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I say a lot of the same things with LeBron, like just as a basketball player, like watching them operate on a basketball court and doing what they do, like it's it's impossible. I think it's objectively impossible to say like those guys aren't just special, like all time special. Uh, and it's been fun to watch. It was cool. It was cool to have Reggie and Ray Allen in the building at the garden. Like it, it was it was pretty poetic. All right. So say you're coaching a team that has Steph, Reggie and Ray Allen on it. Somebody has to take a last shot to win the game from three. Which one of those guys are you having take it? Well, somebody's going to be wide open, right? Because they can't guard all three guys. Um, that'd be the cop-out answer. Let's get it to the wide open guy. I think I'm going to go Ray Allen. Wrong. The answer is wrong. It's uh, Russell Westbrook's also on the team, and he's going to take the three and not pass it to anybody. Who, by volume, is the worst three-point shooter in the history of the league. No, I, I think he I would, go... He would I, take that shot. He would, he would exactly. He would exactly take that shot. You're absolutely right. Um I think I go Ray Allen too. He's just been there, done that a few more times. Yeah, in the clutch, his, yeah, his resume, man. That does. I think it's Ray. Yeah, it might be Ray. Like Steph, he makes a ton of them, but we haven't really seen in like the money situations of a, of a major playoff game. We haven't really seen like that shot from Steph Curry. There's not like that one. You know, he's done some crazy stuff like regular yeah. season for sure. But yeah, we haven't really seen that one. Ray Allen, we've seen it a few times. So yeah, I think I go Ray Allen. What's your best for this episode? 
Yeah, my best. Um, I've got uh, Keonile Akana, the uh, Kamehameha graduate. Her Nebraska Cornhuskers are in the NCAA tournament final. They beat fellow Kamehameha graduate Lexus Akeo, <laughs> the starting setter for Pittsburgh, who was playing in their first ever Final Four national semifinal. So that's like two Hawaii girls in this calendar year who have made NCAA finals when you include Jenna Gabriel for Texas, their setter. They ultimately lost to Kentucky in the you know, revised 2020-21 uh, season that finished up last spring. So, yeah, it's just – we just keep producing all of this talent, all of this talent. You also know who keeps producing all that talent? The Akanas. They're ridiculous. <laughs> um, whether it's Jaron or Brandon, Keonile's uh, dad, or, or Talsili, who's like one of the highest recruited players in high school football right now, or her other sister, Braylon, who made it to the NCAA second round with, um, with the University of Hawaii. So, yeah, kudos to them. Yeah, Molokai, you proud. That's a pretty darn good uh, sports family, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, Kamehameha has some uh, pretty good volleyball players that come out of that program. Like that team has been ridiculously good here. Yeah, they, they also years. have the number two recruit in the country in Devin Kahavai, <laughs> who signed with Texas the other day. So, <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, just kind of keeping it going. Yeah, there you go. All right, uh, let's flip it over to we'll stay on the best side. but We'll flip it over to our best of 2021 uh this is going to be uh one where we reflect back here a little bit this being our last episode of the year and so uh, i'll start with my best of 2021 i think we got to go with what i think is probably the greatest achievement sports wise uh, at least singularly speaking and that is the university of hawaii men's volleyball team claiming a national championship and yes it was in a non-traditional year there were no fans that were able to attend home games to watch these guys Rado Parapunov and Colton Cowell and company and just how incredibly dominant at times they were and played their best volleyball when it mattered the most and so they come into this next season which is going to start on January 5th like right on the other side of New Year's they're going to start their championship defense campaign uh and they're gonna be pretty darn good again now I, I think you would assume hey look they lost a lot with you know rado and colton and pat gasman and company they lost a lot but they brought in a lot including one kyler presho who is the son of former university of hawaii star mark presho uh he started his career at stanford and remember when stanford announced they were shutting down the program they had all these players that transferred out and then stanford was like nah psych we're actually going to bring the program back but it was too late by then and hawaii was one of the beneficiaries where they were able to bring in a middle blocker of that kind of elite talent and so kyler presho leading a, a, a new contingent of hawaii players that i think are going to be pretty highly ranked and going to be considered for sure contenders for another national championship. But uh, that story, Charlie Wade and company able to do that, um, that has to be the number one for me. Yeah, it's it's hard to top that. It's it's hard to top that. And it's just, um, you, you watch the women's Final Four, right? Which is also in Columbus in front of a huge packed arena. And then you think back to the men who have to play like in that auxiliary gym uh, in front of a limited capacity attendance where it's just like friends and family basically and it's just the the juxtaposition of that um, when you think about, you know, I get it, right? Like the women's game is bigger. There are more teams or more fans, more money into it. But, uh, you know, man, there's uh, there's places around the country that would fill an arena to watch uh, that men's volleyball program and that those kind of championship matches. But, yeah, what what a what a season. And um, who knows, man, they just keep it rolling right for this University of Hawaii program. As you mentioned, they've uh, they've reloaded 
as they try to make another run at things. Yeah, and I kind of it's interesting because on the women's side, it's an all Big Ten final, right? It's going to be Nebraska mm-hmm. and Wisconsin. And like the women's game and really volleyball in general has really become Midwest oriented, right? There are so many yeah. power programs in that region of the country where as you go back a couple of decades and it was very coastal, right? It was West Coast, you know, Hawaii. And, and I think the game geographically has shifted uh, because so many women are now playing volleyball, and it's a wonderful thing to see the expansion of that game. The men's sport, at least at the college level, is interesting because I think it still spans, right? And I think Hawaii winning the national championship sort of represents uh, the the claim of here's this program in the middle of the Pacific, sort of most related to the Western region, that coastal area where volleyball was so prominent for so long. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see that dichotomy there, sort of the comparison of the evolution of the women's game and what's happening with the men's game. So uh, fun to watch. I, I think volleyball is continuing to grow. The, the men are efforting to make it a more expansive college landscape as well. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, yeah, that's my best. What's your best for the year? Yeah, my best for the year. I, I also got to go uh, like re- reaching the mountaintop, right? Uh, Carissa Moore winning a gold medal, first time, uh, you know, surfing in the Olympics, all of the ties to the history of the sport and and just all of the Hawaii Olympians, right, uh, that took part in the Tokyo Games, which got delayed a year. But uh, for Carissa Moore to, to win the gold medal uh, and then win the, uh, you know, the pro tour as well later on yeah, in the year, yeah. like to go the double, um, in, in professional surfing, just, just really cool. And, you know, I was driving down, I don't know what I was driving. I think I was driving down King street. There's a huge mural on one of the sides of the buildings. Yeah. There's a lot of cool art right around, uh, around Honolulu, Kalkalko area. Uh, and it's like this huge mural of Carissa with a gold medal, her on a wave and like Duke Kahanamoku, like sort of looking over her shoulder. Uh, and I just thought like, man, that is, that is chicken skin kind of stuff. Uh, really cool, really cool mural. I think summed it up, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to top the year that Carissa's had. Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I said UH men's volleyball may be singularly the greatest achievement, but I don't know that, that that's, it's tough when you compare that to Carissa Moore. That's a really good call. And yeah, that mural, which I believe is another Kamea Hadar creation. Uh, this guy is one of the most talented mural artists really is in the world. And yeah, that thing, actually uh, the apartment that I uh, stay at on Oahu from time to time, uh, the window actually points right in that direction. I can see that mural right now as we are uh, recording this podcast. So uh, pretty cool stuff. And yeah, Carissa representing uh, all time legendary stuff for sure. And that's it for us. That's our best and best brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Thanks once again to BMAC and Jordan. It's been fun. Can you believe that we've made it through basically almost two full years of this podcast. So um, I don't know how, or I don't know why, but uh, some people are still uh, tuning in and giving us a reason uh, to justify uh, keeping this effort going. So uh, we will do so in 2022, but thanks for all your efforts, man. And uh, congrats on a a great year for you. I I know you've accomplished a lot here and continue to do so in the broadcasting realm as well as elsewhere. Uh, So keep up the good work, Merry Christmas and happy new year, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah. Same to you and your family. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I guess year three coming up. That's nuts. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? That's nuts. All right, man. Take care. See you, bud.